Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast coming to you from Metron. Metron people, would you give the podcast people a welcome? Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And uh, those of you who are here today, thank you for being here. Uh, This, of course, is the Christmas season. When people say Jesus is the reason of the season, I have to say, well, he's one of the reasons for the season. The winter solstice was actually uh, celebrated by the pagans for millennia before uh, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was actually the first week of April. And the Catholic Church, some centuries ago, Christianized all of the pagan holidays and um, included the the celebration of Jesus' birth with the celebration of winter. That's why you have songs about Silent Night and O Holy Night, but you also have songs about Jingle Bells and Winter Wonderland and Marshmallow World because it's a celebration of both things. Again, may I say, my theology is yes and, it's not either or. So if we want to celebrate Jesus' birthday this month, I'm all about it. That seems normal and natural to me. That's when I'm used to thinking about it more, and obviously we're going to observe it. So um, there are certain scriptures that always come to mind. I mean, if really, if you want to preach universal salvation, the, there's, there's no greater uh, message than Luke chapter 2 when the angels say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which should be to all people. I mean, all means all. And I'm, I may refer to that before the um, month is up. Uh, and this may be a series, and this is something I've taught on before, but I'm very fascinated with this uh, passage. Let me show you the title, and then I'll share with you the passage. The title is... Uh, the word that becomes flesh, learning how to materialize the spiritual. Nice animation there, Michelle. Michelle, you do such a great job. Tell everybody, Seb, Michelle. I always know I'm going to have a good teaching because I send the, I send the outline. She doesn't do it every week, but so, some some weeks I'll send her the outline and she'll go, oh, this is really good. I'm looking forward to this. I'm like, all right, Michelle's blessed it. So I'm going to bring my A game tomorrow. But um, in the King James Version, John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything that made that was made in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He goes on to say, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not that light, but came to bear witness of it. And then you fast forward down to verse 14. He says, and that word that was eternal, not in the beginning was the Bible, in the beginning was the word, that word not just was housed in flesh, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. All right? Um, I, I read just a simple statement a few years ago, and it really 
sometimes the 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 simplest things are the most profound. I don't even remember where I read it, but it was just a quote that said, "Every word wants to be made flesh," and it really impressed my soul so deeply that I nearly think about it before everything I say now. Because I think, you know, every thought that comes through my head um, is trying to be born. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to show you this uh, passage and a couple of other translations. But um, when, when I s- sort of trace my own spiritual journey, you know, I was raised um, in the classical Pentecostal church. My grandfather was a, like, he was kind of a big deal in a Pentecostal denomination. And it, all my family was connected somehow with that, with that movement. And, and that's great. I love that. I, I mean, I appreciate the, you know, the Pentecostals were very legalistic about a lot of things, but they had some good points as well. They were open to the supernatural, the gifts of the spirit. When you look at the Azusa revival in, in uh, 1905, it was multicultural long before any denominations ever considered multiculturalism. Uh, they didn't allow women to wear pants or makeup, but they let them preach. Ironically, the, the Pentecostal churches uh, acknowledged women preachers, which is always, always seemed odd to me, but I thought, well, uh, not, not that they... Just like, why would you be free in one area and not in others? But that was, that was their journey. So I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I want to bless all the roads I've traveled. Uh, and then, um, early seventies for me was sort of an introduction to the charismatic movement and the word of faith movement. And, uh, there, after that time, there was probably no wave of that charismatic renewal that I wasn't in some way a part of. My uncle um, was the sort of considered the father of the kingdom message. Uh, but one thing that I really um, embraced was the Word of Faith movement. When I first started Church in the Now, it was called Word of Faith Assembly of God. And um, I loved um, a lot of these teachers, the ones that are still alive, have sort of evolved away from this. But back when I was connected with them, there was a lot of emphasis about the power of your words, the authority of the believer, speaking to the mountain. And that really just came alive in me because the theology I was raised with is, you know, life is hard. We're dealing with, we're strangers in a pilgrim, we're pilgrims in a strange land. Life is difficult, but we're going to get to heaven one day, and Jesus is going to apologize to us for how bad everything was. And uh, going to heaven means you got to go without anything that's pleasurable at all, uh, but it beats going to hell. I mean, I was kind—I of, mean, I'm oversimplifying, but that's kind of the theology. When I met the Word of Faith guys, they were—they never talked about that. They were all about have what you say and the authority of the believer. I'm, I'm like. I, I remember the first time I heard one of them preach in uh, person. It was I. I, I went to. A, I was probably fourteen, fifteen, and I went to um, seminar with Kenneth Hagen and Kenneth Copeland, 
And they were talking about the power of words. And I remember I'd never heard anybody talk about that. I'd never heard anybody teach on Mark eleven twenty three. you have what you say. I didn't even have a, a, a neuropath for it. Like, I don't have any place in my brain for what he's talking about. What do you mean you have what you say? But then the more I heard about it, it really um, was became a huge part of my foundation and still is. Just a couple of years ago, I posted something and somebody wrote to me and, uh, and on a comment and said, you sound word of faith. And I said, I am word of faith. I am, I am all of that and none of that. You know, am I a Christian? Yes. Am I a universalist? Yes. I mean, to me, it's just tomato, tomato. Even this morning, y'all know who John Batiste is? Um, Gra- Grammy award winning musician from New Orleans. And he's real, he's very cool and he's very spiritual. And he just has come out with an album where he brings in, like he plays a DJ on the album and he brings in, he's on the same album, he's got Kenny G playing and, um, who's the rapper that he's got? Uh, like really, hardcore gangster rapper. And they were saying, how do you have both of those on the same album? And he said, he said, the vi-, he said, I'm just a, um, a conduit for the vision and the vision wants to bring people together and make them realize they're all doing the same thing. It's like, as he was just explaining music, I thought, you're explaining God. I mean, that's the way he was like, it's not, he was non-judgmental. Like he said, I'm not going to judge this rapper for some of the language he uses. I'm just completely going with his talent. And I thought, wow, it's so interesting. The way he said it just felt very Holy Ghostly to me. And if you ever hear him in an interview, he's got a real, he's got a, um, there's a thing on Netflix right now. It's a documentary about when his wife had leukemia. She's actually gotten through it now, but it's, uh, it's, get, I, I haven't watched it. I know Eddie had posted about it, but it, I've heard it was really good. Anyway, um, that's my, all these years later, this is still my MO. Like I, if I meet somebody from another belief system, I'm not automatically thinking about how different I, it's just my instinct to build a bridge instead of building a wall. What's that got to do with words? Well, um, the faith guys were very influenced by a man who, He's kind of a prolific writer back in the 30s and 40s. He, I think he passed away in 1948. His name was E.W. Kenyon. And some years ago, some sort of an expose came out about Kenyon that said he was a mystic and was involved in mysticism and uh, went to the Emerson School. And so a lot of people who were followers of these faith teachers uh, disconnected from them. They said, no, we, that's of the devil. We don't want to be involved in mysticism. To me, it made me love him even more. I'm like, no wonder I love D.W. Kenyon so much. Cause I, cause I think Jesus was a mystic. I think if Jesus was here today, he'd have a lot more in common with shamans and, you know, healers and empaths than he would some guy that's a member of a denominational church who believes his group is right and everybody else is wrong. I just don't see that in the message of Jesus at all. Jesus says, I have 
sheep and other pastures you don't even know exist. And they're all going to come together and have one shepherd. Now, the reason I'm, I'm saying all that to say this, another influence upon these teachers of faith was a British man who lived in um, uh, England, also passed away in the late 40s. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. And when uh, sometime in the 80s, I did a teaching or a, a week of teaching up at New Life Bible College in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I shared the week with a man, an elder, elderly British man who was a protege of Wigglesworth and worked with him back in the 30s and 20s, 30s, 40s. And uh, I got to have breakfast with him five days in a row, and I got to ask him all kind of stuff. He was like a living... Uh, harbinger of information about Wigglesworth and I had heard all kind of stories about Wigglesworth raising the dead and that sort of thing I said is, is that true or is that you know is that just stuff that got made up he said no I saw it happen uh he said he's this is what he told me he said I saw that the man was not embalmed he said I saw him pull a man out of a casket and raise him I said you saw that with your eyes he said yes I was 26 years old I never forgot it the man came back to life so that was very cool because, you know, you hear a lot of things that are, you know, you read things, you're like, who, who knows what's true anymore? And uh, so that was really cool. Here's my point in saying all of that. At the same time, Kenyon in the United States was getting a revelation about the power of words. You have what you say. So was, so was Smith Wigglesworth. He, was, he would say things like, um, I'd rather die confessing I was healed than to live in doubt. I mean, that's how... That's how extreme he was on, you know, like, I'm, I will never say anything negative. And there are some people who have followed this who have become too um, legalistic about it. I, will, I, I grant you that. But he also, another thing that Wigglesworth said it, that impacted me greatly in the early part of my journey, he said, uh, if you have a negative thought, don't put it into a word. Uh, let it die unborn. And that really, that had a strong vibration on it. Meaning, and thoughts definitely are things. I'm going to talk about this today. But he was saying, even if you think it, thinking it isn't as powerful as saying it. Because once you say it, then it has a body. Then it has, uh, it has, um, you put matter to it. You, it becomes, it becomes a living thing. It becomes something that has, um, uh, volume to it. Specificity. Uh, so what I, what I love about this is Kenyon didn't know who Wigglesworth was. Wigglesworth didn't know who Kenyon was. And at different parts of the world, they were kind of saying the same thing. Now, all these years later, You've got these um, uh, teachers who come along and they talk about power of intention, law of attraction, attraction, and without Scripture are saying the same thing. The prophet said, the knowledge of the Lord fills all the earth as the waters cover the sea. One thing I really love about the Christmas story is the Magi the the um uh wise men who come 
to worship Jesus were not, they were not Jewish. They were not Hebrews. They did not convert to Christianity. They came from what was, what is now Iran or Iraq, which was Persia at the time. And they practiced the religion of Zoroastrianism. And they not only were diviners who followed astronomy, they also followed astrology and somehow knew about the birth of Jesus, not from the scriptures, not from uh, messianic prophecy. They knew about it from uh, the stars. And so when it says, when the scripture says they followed a star, uh, they, they weren't following, when they followed a star, they weren't following a, um, a biblical prophecy. Remember when, um, when they came, they said, where's he who's born the king of the Jews? They said it to Herod. Herod had no idea what he's talking, they were talking about, but he it definitely got his attention because he's like, what do you mean? I'm the king of the Jews. And so he calls one of his experts in messianic prophecy and says, what did, where did the prophet say he was going to be born? And they looked it up. The prophet Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. So that's why those Zoroastrian magicians, that's where we get the word magi, magic, go and worship Jesus and then return to their homeland and return to their religion. They didn't get saved. They didn't walk in there and say, when we saw that baby lying in a manger, we said, my knees bow, my tongue confesses to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. They didn't do that at all. They, they worshiped him. They brought him gifts. Interestingly, they knew about him when people who knew the scriptures didn't know about him. So the Christmas story is a, a story of universal salvation. What's that got to do with the word being made flesh? Let me read this scripture, and then I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this, and, and maybe say something that I might have touched on before, but I don't think I've, I've explored it in depth. This is from John in the Now. It's written by a guy who lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Before I read this, let me just say, this past Thanksgiving, um, you know, m my mom's uh source of information is TBN and Fox News. And uh so we just have we have like a whole area where we don't discuss uh politics or theology. And um she was telling me that the other night she she may be watching and I'll I'll pay the price tonight when we go over there. Uh she told me she says the Lord told me I'm not gonna die, I'm gonna go in the rapture. I said Okay, good. All right. And uh she's big on it. And uh the other night she told me, you know, there's 19 prophecies that have to be fulfilled and 18 of them have been fulfilled already when the 19th was happens we're going to fly away and I out of respect I did not remind her that she said the exact same thing in 1986 and said that she was so sure it was going to happen in 87 that if it happened by then, so if it doesn't happen by 87 I'm going to join the cathedral. And go and staff with them, which obviously never happened. Um, cause my uncle Earl didn't believe in the rapture and it was a, a bone of contention with them forever. And it's still sometimes a bone of contention with my uncle Don and her. They were twins. 
They were fighting in the womb. And at age 85, they're still at it. Um, that's why I never comment on either of their posts. I'm like, namaste to you. Namaste to you. Namaste out of y'all's <laughs> business. Because y'all been, been fighting over stuff long before I was born. So these, these neuropaths are deeply entrenched in you. So Thursday night, we had Thanksgiving, uh, Thursday night of last week, we had Thanksgiving over there, and um, my mom was really into The Golden Bachelor and wanted to watch that, and so she excused herself from the table, and uh, which is fine. So we ended up, when we finished up eating and cleaning up, we gravitated in there and was kind of watching it too, and, and as we were all talking, I could, Judah was sitting by her. And I could hear her telling Judah that the prophecies were all fulfilled and we're about to fly away. And I thought, okay. And I'm just saying to myself, like, don't argue. Because I have said to her for years, Mom, if that happens, I promise you, I will fly with you. And whoever you need me to apologize to, I will, I will tink a glass at the marriage supper of the Lamb and say, I would like to say a word, my bad. I really did not think this was going to happen. I thought this was the invention of a a man from Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, but, you know, I was wrong, but thank God his mercy endures forever, and I'm here with y'all. Um, and I do believe that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of God. Uh, I'm not afraid of, you know, I'm not afraid of the negative. I'm not afraid of an antichrist or mark of the beast or, like, that's all that stuff's irrelevant to me. One thing that really ministered to me about Bishop Pearson in the last uh, block of time that he was here, he never recanted his, you know, he's like, no, I'm good to go. I'm ready, you know, wherever God is. I'm, I'm, I, that, I feel like in his death, he showed something that was as powerful as what he showed in his life. And when I watched that service in Tulsa, it was the, the, the if that wasn't the anointing, I don't know what is. Uh, because it was the parts that I watched, very anointed. So um, I'm saying all that to say, as mom was talking, uh, she says, as a matter of fact, she says, Jared, get me that Bible over there. And she pointed to the um, bookshelf that has a hundred Bibles in it. And I thought, oh, are we going to really pull out a Bible? Are we, really, we going to go here? And as I'm saying to myself, do not argue. Whatever she says, if she says we're flying away tonight, just go with it because arguing with her only makes her double down and it doesn't change anything on anything. So I'm, I'm to that place now. I'm like, you're right. God bless you. I got to go. Um, she says, no, that book, that Bible, that Bible. So he finally put his hand on a gospel's in the now. And I thought, I didn't see that coming. And she, now I don't know what year the gospel's in the now come out, 2005? I don't know if she's just now discovered it. But she says to my kids, do y'all have this book? And they all said yes. And she says, your dad wrote this and it's the best thing I've ever read. And she, he did the paintings on the, like, this is a great, Add for 
Gospels in the now. And she says, y'all should read this. It's, it's incredible. And I was like, oh, you threw me a curve. Just when I thought I had all your ways figured out, you interjected something different. So Gospels in the Now is available <laughs> at Amazon.com uh, or Jim Swilly Books. We have plenty of them. If you would like to, if you'd like to do your Christmas shopping now, I'll bring them to your house. Um, here's John 1.14 and John in the Now, which is part of Gospels in the Now. And the eternal word morphed into flesh into a manifested incarnation with human attributes and authority in the natural world so that he could live with and among us human beings. And he did live with, with us here in our world, limiting himself to the constraints of the human condition without reservation, but we could still plainly see, see his eternal divine glory. It was obvious that he shined with the glorious light of a unique, firstborn son who is miraculously like his father who had sent him. The illumination from that glory revealed that he was literally filled with grace and that he overflowed with absolute truth. Um, it's just another way of saying, and that eternal word. In the Greek, it's the, the logos. It's where we get the word logic, theologic. Theo means God. Theological is the logic of God. Um, long before there was a Bible. The Bible was a collection of books put together in North Africa by a group of men at a council of Nicaea where they determined what the canon of the Scriptures was. It did not come down out of heaven. It was a group, a, a, a collection of books that were available at the time. We have none of the original. Uh, writings of the Old Testament or New Testament. In the 40s, there was a shepherd boy who discovered what they call the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were copies of originals, but there's, there's no original um, manuscript anywhere that anybody knows anything about. I mean, if they, if they were around, they'd be 6,000 years old. Um, and there's no original New Testament anywhere. So we're, we're assuming that what was passed down, you know, somebody told me one time, they said, you know, we, when you say things like that, you make it less, uh, you, you make it less easy to rely on the authority of the word of God. I said, I don't think so. I think the more I examine what the Bible isn't, it shows you what the word of God is. And again, the Bible and Word of God are not either or, they're yes and. Is the Bible the Word of God? Absolutely not. Does it contain the Word of God? Yes. Is it a an access point or a portal to the Word of God? No doubt about it. Is it anointed? Yes. Is it inspired? Yes. Is it infallible? No. The writers of the Bible, biblical books, do not say that it's infallible. It is... um part of the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. If I had to, you know, if you had to take, if they said, you know, you can't ever refer 
to any verses of scripture, you can keep two. The two I would keep would be Exodus 3.14, I am that I am. That one seems really true to me. And the other would be, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the Word was God. No, God's a man on a throne, not according to what John said. And I'll tell you this, the more I teach on this, the more mysterious it becomes. It's the strangest thing. I wish I could tell you I'm closing in on it. I think if I just teach on it a couple more years, I'm going to, I'm going to have a handle on it. On the contrary, the more I teach on it, the bigger it gets. I'm like, my God, that's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Not a man on a throne. The, the word was God. Could that word be manifested with anthropomorphic? Why'd I have a hard time with that? Anthro, you know, body parts. Can it, I mean, Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. He just easily said, if you've seen the Word, you've seen me. But he didn't say, I'm going to stay in this incarnation. He says, it's necessary that I go away. Because if I stay as Jesus, you're going to do something crazy like create Christianity. Christianity is the worst thing that ever happened to we can't see Jesus because of Christianity now. Christianity obscures Jesus. That's why if, if I'm somewhere and I strike up a conversation with somebody and they say, what do you do for a living? I, I take a long breath because I think, how am I going to even explain to you what I do? Because if I say pastor, you're going to think of something that is, it's a part of me, but it's not. It's not me. If I say bishop, that's going to, you know, if you have a Catholic background or something, that's going to, you know, that's going to trigger all kinds of things. Like, I don't even know, I don't even know what it's called. Am I a teacher? I mean, yeah. I'm all of the above. That's one, one reason I'm glad in the scripture, God has ascribed so many different names. There's no one name that says, this is it. There's no other name. I mean, you got Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah this, Jehovah that. I mean, there's so many Jehovah. There's like Jehovah Tyrone, Jehovah Bubba, <laughs> Jehovah your mama Nim. I mean, it's like there's multi, and it's because every one of these names gives you another facet of the diamond, but it's not the whole thing. You're never going to figure out God. One reason, you know, back in the day, people used to prophesy over me that I was going to have a Bible college and stuff. And it never really resonated with me because I thought if if I were to have a Bible college, that would mean my knowledge of God is locked in to these, you know, this these isms, this dogma. And that flies in the face of everything that I believe. I I believe that. I mean, even my journey, you know, for so many years, the ministry was called Church in the Now, and st I still use now. I mean, my ministry is called Now Ministries. That's still so much a part of me. And then the word metron means your sphere of influence. To me, it's the logical 
outworking of um, even where I'm at with Metron right now. It's like I'm being weaned off of the idea of a mega church or even church construct at all. I mean, it's become so indefinable what I do that I don't even know what to call Metron. And I mean that in a positive way. I'm saying I'm overwhelmed with the mystery of it all. Because so much bigger than I thought God was when I started preaching in 1972. It was fabulous. I knew everything in 1972. You should have met me then. It was incredible. I don't know where I lost that information. Because now, no matter what you bring to me, I think, well, could be, possibly. I am considered that part of it, but yeah, that might... That might, that might be in there. Yeah. Some people say, you're just watering down your theology. No, I think when Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills, I think that's what he, I think that's what he meant. It's like, you're never going to harness this. You're never going to figure this out. You're never going to define it. You're never going to box it in. You can't, you can't put it in a book between two leather covers. Really? That's how, that's how small your God is that you could compress him or it into this book that you can carry around with you and say, I got it all figured out. How dare you insult the I am? God will explode the pages right off your Bible. So I use the Bible, but I use it with great respect to say, yes, this is a portal that helps, it's, it's part of my secret place of the most high, but I don't for a minute believe that this is all of it. Cause there's so much more. The I is so much bigger and the am is so much bigger. And what's really interesting is as I get older, it gets bigger and bigger. You know, as I get, as I come closer to it, I think, well, I'm going to finally figure it out. And, I'm very aware of mortality right now. I'm in an age group where I see people leaving their body. I'm very, I mean, quite frankly, can I get really candid with you? There's a part of me that was glad I couldn't go to Bishop's service because I just, I'm kind of funeraled out right now. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I had a legitimate reason because I just, I've just kind of done a lot of them lately. And I think that's comes with, you get to a certain age and it starts happening. I'm not in denial of what we call death. But do you know what I feel? And you know, maybe in her way, this is what my mom is tapping into. She does, she calls it the rapture, but maybe that's, she doesn't have language for it. Because what I see, even at where I'm at, as I've gotten closer to it, it's so much bigger and so much brighter and so more much more dazzling that I don't anticipate dying I just anticipate disappearing into it do you understand what I'm saying it's like I'm not saying my body won't stop at some point and if I can you know keep my you know come on Henry Kissinger if I can keep if I can be writing papers (laughs) <laughs> on artificial intelligence at 100, so be it. Um, 
that's what but as far as the death thing i just it doesn't feel real to me because i feel like you will go from glory to glory until you just are absorbed into that glory do you understand what i'm saying it's like the light i've really experienced this before you know because with with cataracts you know you um uh, bright lights are really nearly unbearable. And there's been a few times I've been driving, especially close to sundown, that I thought, I shouldn't be on this road. I cannot, I cannot tell if that light is green or red. Now, driving, that's a dangerous thing. But what I believe should happen on your spiritual journey, you should become less and less judgmental as you get older. Less of a busybody, less of a control freak, because you're so close to whatever that whatever your kids tell you they do, whatever you're like, I love you, no matter what. Like if you told me this 20 years ago, I'd have been, you know, raking you up the coals. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I, I, I'm so close to this thing that I can't tell if that light's green or red, and I'm okay with it. Do you understand? Does that make sense to you? Because I could tell you what was wrong with you 25 years ago. I tell you what's wrong with your marriage. I tell you what's wrong with your finances. Now I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I can't tell. The, the light is so bright. I'm not sure what I'm looking at, but I'm not afraid. I'm too. I'm not afraid of going into the light. I'm not I'm not trying to announce my you know departure. I mean, I'm staying. I mean, I, my God, I just got new parts. I need to I need to stick around for a few more years. What would be the point of going through all this? I got <laughs> I got new parts. I I got some more living to do. But but what I'm saying down the road, I just see as my theology gets bigger and more overwhelming i see we're like oh i get it like the the road just disappears into the sun i get it i understand and the lights never go out you don't stop breathing you just walk into it whenever that time is let me show you this uh what yeah i'm probably gonna put a comma here uh, yeah, I'm gonna put a comment here. I, I'm, we'll we'll turn. The, we'll call the rest of it part two. And the word became flesh. Uh-huh. The scriptures said that the word is written on the heart. It's no longer written on it. So as we grow, as you say, our heart grow. That word is growing. And it's trying to return to where it came from. So our heart is trying to get back to God, who yes, created us. Without judgment, without judgment, yes, the word becoming flesh. Don't you see that's a natural process that's happening in your life? Don't I mean, if you respond to things in life correctly, you stop being afraid of stuff because you've seen stuff, and stuff is just stuff. But I'm talking about something even higher because I know. The God stuff was always real. The God, you know, the 
the holy the the anointing stuff I that was always real. It just turns out it was so much bigger than what I thought, or even my ancestors thought. Let's all stand. I'll tell you this, and I, I, this is where I'm going to go next week. And I've kind of talked about this a little bit, and uh, one day this week, LaDonna texted me something that really confirmed it. You know how I've, we've talked a lot in the last few years about how the cross was not plan A. You know, um, and the what she said to me was a teacher she'd been listening to, and I, I kind of said this before, but not quite this way, is that where Jesus was trying to get everybody to was the Mount of Transfiguration, where he went into the light. But because those disciples couldn't get their head around it, let's build a tabernacle, he ends up having to go to Calvary. But Calvary was not the ultimate. It was supposed to have been on Transfiguration. Let me show you who you are. Let me show you how to how to become God. And, you know, when people say, yeah, but we're too sinful. Who told you you were naked? Well, all right, we're going to... If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. I'd like to just bring them into the light. We're going to have to do it through blood. All right. And if anything, it does that does not demean the cross to me at all. If anything... It makes me think, wow, Jesus, that was, that was some amazing commitment. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't to appease an angry sky god. It was to change people's perception of themselves. The, tra- the Mount of Transfiguration was all about the light. God is real. God is here. God is eternal. Not only is in the beginning the word, but we are in the beginning. In the beginning is happening even as I say these words. The word is vibrating. The word is alive.
I don't want to do an outro today. You know what to do. Of course, I need you to give, but that's not where my intention is today. Go in God. Go in peace. We'll take this up next time.